we have been talking about the cold case of neurasthenia, one of the most common diagnoses made 100 to 150 years ago, but due to a variety of factors, the case went cold. This series is to bring recognition to the insights and observations by compassionate doctors caring for patients suffering without the benefit of modern medicine. These observations shed light on how much really hasn't changed when we consider the cluster of symptoms and signs patients diagnosed with neurasthenia mirror those with other invisible illnesses like fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, POT, migraines, and irritable bowel syndrome, to just name a few. It would be rightly said that the patients who would have come to the office of the doctors 100 to 150 years ago and been given the diagnosis of neurasthenia would now be given one of these diagnoses. Welcome to the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz. I have been a doctor for over 27 years. I am a pediatrician and internal medicine doctor. So I see people who are struggling with invisible illnesses, going from newborns, where one of the first invisible illnesses could be considered colic, to those who are in their retirement years and everybody in between. I also am a lifestyle medicine physician, which means I have extra training in caring for patients using non-medical ways of helping them, which is very helpful when you're considering caring for those who have invisible illnesses because the importance of sleep, stress management, avoiding risky substances, diet, and other ways of helping you live better with these invisible illnesses is so important. And I also am a diplomat of the Board of Clinical Lipidology, which is also important because the number one cause of mortality in the Western cultures is cardiovascular disease. And that, unfortunately, is heightened in those who have invisible illnesses. This podcast is for informational purposes only. While I am a doctor, I am not your doctor. All signs and symptoms and treatments should be discussed with your own personal physician. And now on to this week's episode. What are the symptoms of neurasthenia? As I go through these, pay careful attention to similarities with what you've experienced, or your loved ones, or your patients living with invisible illnesses. Some doctors 100 to 150 years ago considered the diagnosis completely subjective, with almost any complaint seemingly attributed to neurasthenia. Others had deep empathy and compassion. Dr. Beard, who was a neurologist of that day, wrote in his book, American Nervousness, a list of symptoms of nearly two pages in length. The symptoms included insomnia, flushing, drowsiness, bad dreams, cerebral irritation, pain, 
pressure and heaviness in the head. Noises in the ears, which now is called tinnitus. Mental irritability. Tenderness of the teeth and gums, which could be referring to TMJ. Nervous dyspepsia. Desire for stimulants and narcotics. Fear of a number of things, including lightning. Fear of responsibility of closed and of open places, fear of being alone, fear of contamination, lack of decision in trifling matters, hopelessness, deficient thirst, and capacity for assimilating fluids, pains in the back, heaviness of the loins and limbs, which we would now consider the pelvic region, as well as pains in the arms and legs, shooting pains, cold hands and cold feet, pains in the feet. He also described unique idiosyncrasies regarding food, medicines, and external irritants. He observed that they had local spasms of muscles, difficulty swallowing, convulsive movements, especially on going to sleep, cramps, a period of profound exhaustion, and a host of other pains, obsessions, and itches. I suspect that the convulsive night movements were describing restless leg syndrome and periodic limb movement disorder, which can contribute significantly to profound exhaustion and, as I've discussed on earlier episodes, is much more common in those who have one of these invisible illnesses like fibromyalgia. He also described them having itches or paritis and Many people who are struggling with invisible illnesses will have chronic itching or have itchier skin and maybe even connections with eczema and allergies at higher rates than those without. And these can be very debilitating. This includes chronic urticaria, which does have a idiopathic cause. And many who have this also have other central pain processing disorders or fibromyalgia-like pain struggles. They also included what was called Bright's disease of the kidneys, which referred to inflammation. The modern parallel may be irritable bladder or interstitial cystitis. There also was a noted strain from puberty and menopause as having impacts similar to today. Childbirth and Subsequent child care can be triggers for those susceptible then and now. These are common features in those with fibromyalgia. Dr. Beard and other physicians felt that these symptoms were somehow all related. Interestingly, Dr. Beard estimated that 10% of his patients were physicians. Famous intellectuals of the day with the diagnosis of Neurasthenia included Charles Darwin, George Eliot, Rousseau, Montagne, Francis Bacon, Kant, and Sigmund Freud, to name a few. Dr. Beard writes in his book, A new crop of diseases has sprung up in America, of which Great Britain until lately knew nothing of, or but very little. A class of functional diseases of the nervous system now beginning to be known everywhere in civilization, seem to have first taken root under an American sky, whence their seed is being distributed. 
Functional disease is a condition like irritable bowel and dyspepsia, which we now call disorders of the gut-brain interaction. These gut-brain interaction disorders were discussed earlier this spring with Dr. Beate Beinvogel, and it'd be really a great series if you haven't gotten a chance to go back and listen to that. Dr. Beard goes on to say, All this is modern and originally American, and no age, country, or form of civilization, not Greece, Rome, Spain, or the Netherlands, in the days of their glory, possess such maladies. Of all the facts of modern sociology, this rise and growth of the functional nervous disease in the northern part of America is one of the most stupendous, complex, and suggestive. To solve it in all its interlacings, to unfold its marvelous phenomena and trace them back to their source and forward to their future developments is to solve the problem of sociology itself. He said to solve it in all its interlacings, to unfold its marvelous phenomena. I really appreciate his observations that this was very complex and there were so many interlacings, interconnections, and that's why working as a physician who takes care of the whole person, taking a holistic approach, recognizing the interconnections between the mind and the body and all of the different organ systems and how they all fit together, and then how they interact with society and with other people and the stresses, as he calls it, sociology and how those have a strong impact as we'll learn more as we hear the stories of those who experienced neurasthenia over a hundred years ago. Interestingly, the primary source was attributed to the stress of modern life felt to be unique to a bustling new America by Dr. Beard. What was different? There was a shift to much more of the brain work, as we've talked about, going from a more hands-on, active, agrarian society to the Industrial Revolution. He goes on to write, Countless men and women who were not elite suffered not from excitement, but from grief, depression, anxiety, and the overwhelming tedium of their lives. By the time Dr. Beard had published, there was growing optimism as to the cause and potential solutions as discoveries such as cell staining of neurons and the response of the cerebral cortex to electrical stimulation was observed. At that time, neurasthenia was accepted as a real illness as validated by the waiting rooms of neurologists being filled with those suffering, which might otherwise have lived quietly in shame and fear. The type of medicine practiced at the time was called the somatic style of medicine, where a lesion or structural cause by known and available detection methods was unnecessary. Physicians anticipated 
the discovery of objective measurements, paralleling the anticipation of the Messiah in one sense. Sadly, these two generations of doctors who worked from the late 1800s to the early 1900s had yet to see the development of objective measurable findings identifying the differences in how the central nervous system processes stimuli, which we now know is at the heart of the problem. The fact that the patients still functioned meant that there were subtle differences yet to be discovered and more sophisticated methods would be needed to help clarify and gain deeper understanding and insights as to the root cause and then resulting solutions. There was some disagreement between neurologists and gynecologists over the management of chronic pelvic pain. As we just had in a series with Evelyn Hecht, there are overlapping chronic pelvic pain conditions that are actually quite common, and many of you who are listening likely suffer with some of these illnesses. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to that two-part series with Evelyn, please go back and take a look at it when you have a chance. Gynecologists felt surgical solutions to abnormalities or to symptoms would be an effective treatment for these patients suffering with neurasthenia symptoms. Sadly, many women went through unnecessary, dangerous operations without the benefit of modern imaging, leaving many worse than they had when they started. Meaning, gynecologists removed ovaries and the clitoris and bore the brunt of the criticism by non-surgeons, the general practitioners and neurologists of the day. Some considered it a crime and a threat to marriage. Many thought that when the gynecologists manipulated the pelvic organs, there would be actually worsening of neurasthenia. No CT or MRI scans were available preoperatively, and the surgeries had more significant incisions than modern laparoscopic surgeries. There was much more of a guessing game. The do-no-harm teaching principle often led to more harm, unfortunately, for many who underwent these surgeries. There was recognition by many physicians of the impact to the credit of the gynecologists and neurologists and general practitioners. There was a clear connection for many of the impact of monthly cycles on the pain. The changes in now hormone levels, as we understand that, can either heighten or lessen pain symptoms. Many generalists or general practitioners developed a close relationship with patients, offering moral support and encouragement as a primary form of treatment, which they felt was the best paradigm to provide than specialists who were more focused on one organ system. This holistic framework is one that I and many others agree with, especially with the management of these invisible illnesses. They felt it was essential to treat the physical and emotional health of the patient. If you are a carpenter, you are more likely to consider solutions involving a saw, hammer, and nails. 
if you are an electrician, you will more likely look at the problem from the perspective of an electrician. However, if you are a general contractor, you will likely integrate all of these insights and provide a more comprehensive approach to both understanding and then offering care for those who are suffering. The more common view at the time by the gynecologist was that the loss of hormones from the removal of ovaries was felt less than if a man had his testicles removed. They observed a marked change in the disposition and temper, and always for the better, according to Dr. David Gilman, a gynecologist. The impact of premature menopause on multiple issues, including osteoporosis, would not have been recognized and would indeed be a very high cost, and they didn't have hormone replacement therapy back then as well. Sadly, there were not many options. Some may have had endometriosis, which has been shown to be helpful to a surgical management. What happened to the diagnosis of neurasthenia? Neurasthenia existed in the Diagnostic Statistic Manual, Part 2, with reference to dysthymia, but not meeting depression criteria. It was characterized by chronic weakness, easy fatigability, and sometimes exhaustion. And by the DSM-3 criteria in 1980, it had disappeared. Despite it disappearing, listening to the stories of patients offers important recognition to those living in the present. The information and understanding we now know are much greater than before, making us grateful to live in the present. We are now going to go through some cases and look in depth to understand what patients who had neurasthenia experienced as then and now every case was unique. Everybody had their own struggles and circumstances and social struggles that they had to deal with, but connected was a lot of these common themes. Dr. Beard in 1871 evaluated a patient with the chief complaint of general debility. This patient, Mr. W., was typical for one with neurasthenia. He had pain with placing his left hand in warm water. He was a young businessman with nervousness that worsened his symptoms. He had traveled to Europe seeking relief before coming to Dr. Beard. This account is similar to many of the stories of listeners who have sought out countless providers over the years seeking to get some form of relief. What was the makeup of those diagnosed and treated for neurasthenia? A review of 307 case reports in medical journals between 1875 and 1910 showed a spectrum of sufferers from farmers to bank presidents. Of the 217 known occupations, 79 had white-collar jobs, 56 were laborers, 44 were women, 20% were housewives. Many of the triggers were life crises similar to modern stresses. Dr. Beard would recognize what he considered mental causes, but would treat with physical means like 
Horsford's acid, cod liver oil, induction of blisters along the spine, and medications meant to induce vomiting. Women commonly complained of insomnia, ingestion, and other abdominal pains, depression, fears, muscular weakness, and heart palpitations. They also had anorexia, headache, general pains, irregular periods, palpitations, and dysmenorrhea. Men were likely to complain of tingling or numbness of the extremities and lack of concentration. Some had bouts of diarrhea, which we would now call irritable bowel syndrome. Sick headaches were debilitating and would now be called migraines. These were recognized to be genetic and induced by cerebral or brain exhaustion. Many with untreated ADHD experience these symptoms. A review of case reports showed men and women were represented about equally with the average age in the 20s to 40s. This is younger than the stereotypical middle-aged woman many may think of. However, as a pediatrician with an ear tuned to listen for fibromyalgia in children and teenagers, I have seen this in my experiences with patients. Unfortunately, this is not often recognizing, leading to decades of delay from the onset of symptoms to the eventual diagnosis. What was a migraine described as in 1872? Let's take a listen. Dr. Theodore Fisher records the case Mrs. B. She was a 30-year-old widow who was always subject to sick headaches, as her mother before her, of a nervous, sanguine temperament, though in very good flesh and color. Menses regular but excessive. Now, I'm not sure if he meant excessive in bleeding or excessive in pain. Could have been both. She had several attacks of diarrhea in the summer of 1869 during vacation and has felt weak and spiritless since her return. She is seldom constipated. She menstruated on November 1st, and she has had a headache since, with complete anorexia and occasional nausea. I find her in bed November 6th, five days later, after a sleepless night with her usual pain in her left temple. Valerianate of ammonia was prescribed, and when the headache was relieved, strychnine was given. Two days later, he describes her improved but having headaches every few days. She sleeps badly. Chlorohydrate was given but worsened the pain, and belladonna was given instead. She was not able to identify any exciting cause that occurred under a variety of circumstances, but was fostered by recent and remote cerebral exhaustion. The options available at the time were exhausted. There wasn't anything else to try. Chlorohydrate was a medicine that caused drowsiness and sleepiness, and the strychnine is now considered a poison and even not recommended or attempted. You've probably never heard of it before. And... These were cycles. She was exhausted. And cerebral exhaustion, that's the overwhelming feeling that many people who are struggling 
with chronic fatigue syndrome, with debilitating migraines and irritable bowel and fibromyalgia and untreated ADHD often experience. Dr. Beard used cerebrasthenia or brain exhaustion to recognize that a holistic approach to the whole nervous system was essential. Here's another case of his. Here is another case of his. A middle-aged clergyman who had endured circumstances that drew severely on his patience intact. Fatigue from heat exposure, which led to excessive prostration, leading to a multitudinous array of nervous system symptoms, which annoyed him for a long time, which combined him with an inherited nervous diastasis brought on by cerebrasthenia, which had been present for a number of years, causing him to change his position to that of teaching. He writes, He complained of sick headache attacks, indigestion, depression, and decreased libido. There was no evidence of muscle debility. He could walk and work with his arms. All his symptoms pointed to the brain, especially these nervous attacks, which, when they were upon him, unfitted him for any labor or enjoyment. They were excited by pulpit work and any form of mental annoyance or a feeling of responsibility. Even the slight task of leading an evening prayer or attending a funeral was sufficient to induce an attack. Dr. Beard tried iron, which didn't help, so attempted electrical treatment, which consisted of a low electrical charge through a copper plate for the feet to an area of the body. Dr. Mitchell, one of the most recognized physicians of the time in the world of neurasthenia, also offered the rest cure for wealthy women who could afford it. He gave personal attention involving rest in bed, passive exercise, massage, and forced feeding. He admitted that his compelling personality and imperious manner were crucial to his success. He was said to earn 70000 a year, equivalent to $1.6 billion in modern 2023 inflation rates. Dr. Goodall, the head of the American Gynecological Society, shared a case he referred to the rescuer treatment due to the severity of her illness. He writes, on March 6th of this year, a tall-framed girl of 20 sent to me from a neighboring state. She was in a wretched health and had been invalid for some five years. Her catamenia began at the age of 13 and was pain-free for two years. What was catamenia? It refers to the time when women are cycling from puberty to menopause. He continues, for some unexplained cause, Dysmenorrhea began, which had gone on increasingly until it was unbearable without anodynes. Now, interestingly, he says, for some unknown cause, often for the first year or two after having their first period, a young woman will not have the regular hormone levels in cycling, but after about a year or two, they start to get into the regular levels. And for those who have a nervous system that's more susceptible, we will more likely have pain issues. In the 19th century, the primary anodynes were opium, henbane, hemlock, tobacco, nightshade, and chloroform. 
He continues in his writing, She had frequently suffered from aches all over her body, but more specifically from backache and from constant and severe pain on both ovarian regions, the left being the worse. Now, it's not uncommon for my patients who have fibromyalgia, have aches all over the body, but often there is one area of the body that seems to be more affected than others. And as in her case, the back and other people, it could be migraines or stomach or back or hip, that's more worse. And sometimes that's the only symptom somebody brings into the doctor because they don't want to be thought of as a hypochondriac or not a reliable patient when they complain that everything hurts. He continues to write, she had frequent fits of unconsciousness that he labels hysteroepilepsy, out of which she awakened with frightful screams. One explanation could be fainting episodes similar to those diagnosed with POTS, who experienced these as well. And POTS, which stands for postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, experienced these similar symptoms. She also had severe constipation and a loss of appetite. As her mother informed me, and with probably some exaggeration, not a week passed by for five years without several visits from her physicians. The severity of her symptoms was all out of proportion to the local lesions. I advise the rest treatment. Now, I don't know for sure, but he may have gone in and looked for endometriosis in surgery and didn't find it. Or he may have found on exam that there wasn't clearly any inflammation in the joints, in the arms, in the legs, and everything seemed to work normally. She didn't have any enlarged liver or spleen or masses on exam. Everything seemed normal. What did you hear during today's episode that you could identify with, that resonated with your own experience? It's really interesting to consider that you shared the same kind of problems as somebody who lived 100 to 150 years ago and would have likely been diagnosed neurasthenia, may have been given surgical treatment or different kinds of medicines that weren't necessarily evidence-based, but would have at least had compassion by doctors who considered this a very real problem for the most part, a mystery of very complicated, mysterious, interlaced, connected problems that also had an impact or were affected by what was going on in your environment, affected by society, and also affected by brain stress, brain exhaustion, as they called it back then. I suspect that many of you have had similar stories or have had loved ones going through this or patients going through this. And what's interesting is Dr. Beard and others were onto something. They really had some good insights but they didn't have modern medicine to help understand the why. They didn't have the modern options for treatments, and many went to treatment options that weren't really well 
evidence-based or teased out, and a lot of them were through the power of their personality, of their persuasion, of their positive coaching and encouragement working with patients. Here's some more cases next week. One of the ways you can support the show and help get this to others who need to hear some of these valuable insights and understandings is to hit the follow button, leave a five-star rating and review, and share this with others on social media. If you have any insights, questions, or topics that you'd like for me to discuss on future episodes, please email me at Dr. Michael Lenz. Until next week, go to Viper.